One of the times in my life when God spoke to me clearest, I learned a great deal about prayer. I was walking down the street near my house and God said to me, look at that tree. It was as simple as that. And it was so clear that I just froze and stared at this tree. I thought maybe this is going to be my burning bush moment. Maybe I'm going to have some great epiphany or I'm going to save someone's life. But as I stared at the tree, absolutely nothing happened. People were looking at me weirdly, thinking I was having some kind of episode. And eventually I thought maybe God had got distracted with events in the Middle East or something. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm staring at the tree. What happens now? And God then said to me this, why do you get so intense about everything? Why can't I just say, look at that tree. I'm pleased with that tree. I thought that was a great tree. Why does it have to mean anything more than that? So it was very weird. It was the most underwhelming epiphany of all time. But I found myself saying to God, good job on the tree, Lord. That is significant, I believe, because your prayer life is going to be at its best, not when you're praying the big prayers occasionally, but when you're praying the small prayers continually. If you want to live your life with greater gratitude, learn to pray about small things, especially inevitable things like give us this day our daily bread when the supermarket is full of the stuff. Then you get to give thanks to God all the time. People say to me, should I pray for a parking lot at Walmart on a wet Saturday? And I say, absolutely. Because then if you ask God for a parking space and you get one, you give thanks to God for a patch of concrete. And then they say to me, well, would you have got the parking lot space if you hadn't prayed? I don't know. Ask the theologians. All I know is if you pray about small things, you get to give thanks to God for small things all the time. You live with greater gratitude. Let me begin by saying something kind of obvious. When it comes to getting what you want, clarity is a really good thing. And at the risk of over-explaining, do you know what it means to ask for a friend when you ask a question on social media? Have you ever done that? Asked a slightly ridiculous, outrageous, maybe hilarious question and said that it was because a friend wanted you to ask it? Let me give you a few examples of things that people have tweeted saying that they're just asking for a friend. Is it okay to wear a Snuggie to pick your daughter up from school? asking for a friend. Can you cook bacon with a hair straightener? Asking for a friend. What's the appropriate number of hours a day for a grown man to spend trying to make a real lightsaber? Just asking for a friend. Do dogs only understand you when you talk in high, weird baby voices? Asking for a friend. Or do you, does anyone know if Rosetta Stone makes a version for successfully talking to women? Asking for a friend. Or is it proper etiquette to tweet with your pinky in the air? Just asking for a friend. Now, I'm not against any of these things. And if you do that on your own, that's fine. I don't know why you would buy a hair straightener to cook bacon. But if that's what you choose to do, that's fine. But own up to your own weird activities. Don't, don't blame it on your perfectly normal, uh, socially acceptable friends. Own it yourself. You know, we're in a series called Pray, Pause, Rejoice, Ask, Yield. And we're on to ask this week. And many of you probably just said, yes. 
You breathe the sigh of relief because asking is like the bread and butter uh, of prayer. It's the thing that we're hardwired to do. It seems the most natural out of anything that we do when it comes to prayer. You, You may have been like, yes, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Let me pull out my list and read to you what it is that I am asking for God to do. I'd like a Red Ryder BB gun in the newest Mandalorian Lego set and an air fryer and a one-year subscription to Peacock so that I can watch The Office on repeat while I'm waiting for my air fryer to cook dinner. But seriously, we reach into our pockets and we pull out this list that we have ready to go. Things that we need, things that we want, things that other people need and want that we're praying for. We, we understand this because on a basic level, we understand that when it comes to getting what you want, clarity is a really good thing. And we're also usually pretty comfortable asking for a friend in a non-weird or sarcastic sort of way when it comes to prayer. We offer to pray for people all the time, and that's a really good thing. And I want to I wanna affirm that. I want to encourage that because I think there's something that maybe in our, in our culture we've dismissed a little bit. But when you say that you're going to pray for somebody, I think that what you're saying is one of the most powerful and loving things you could ever say to them because you're saying you're going to go to the most powerful and loving being who you know with this incredibly important request. You're going to go to Jesus and ask for him to move in their lives, to provide for them, to do the thing that they're asking for. And that should be held with a high level of value because it's a really beautiful thing. Richard Foster wrote that if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. So how about this for a statement of loving others? Do things when possible, but always pray. And Jesus is the ultimate example of intercession for us. Did you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is praying for you right now at the throne of our Father? Every single minute of the day, he is praying for us. Listen to this, Romans 8, 34. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading or praying or interceding for us. Jesus says that I'll be praying for you, and then he goes and he does it, and that's a beautiful gift. As Eugene Peterson, the pastor and writer says, as Jesus prays, he enters the action of God. As he prays with us, he implicitly invites us to enter into the action. And as we pray with him, we volunteer ourselves into the action. So friends, are you willing, are you ready to enter into the plan of God, the action of God with Jesus through prayer? Over the past two weeks, we've paused And we've given space for the Holy Spirit to speak. We've we've rejoiced in the things that God has already done. And we've adored God for who it is that he is. And today we're going to ask for the things that we need. We're asking many times for the things that Jesus has actually promised us in his word that he would give to us. Because Jesus has the power to do what we ask. And often we in our own don't have that same power. So I want to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And then we're going to jump into an encounter that Jesus has with a blind man. So let's pray. Jesus, we just invite you to come and to fill our homes right now. 
fill the spaces that we're in. We want your presence to be here, Holy Spirit. We just say, come, Holy Spirit, make yourself real to us right here and right now. And we just thank you that you are so good, that you do answer our requests, that there are no small requests. There are only things that are valuable to us, and because of that, they're valuable to you. We thank you that you care about us in deep and personal and and profound ways. We're so grateful. And so I ask this morning that you will affirm your goodness in our hearts, that you will affirm the way that you move in our lives, in our hearts, and that you will come and be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the Gospels, at the beginning of the New Testament, these stories of Jesus' life and examples of his teaching were given the same encounter that Jesus has with a blind man that Mark names as Bartimaeus as he was going to the city of Jericho. And so I want to look at one of these stories from the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke 18. If you don't have a Bible, Google Luke 18 and read it with me there. Uh, Open it on the app on your phone. Click on the Bible button below the chat feature uh, online. However you want to read, I want to encourage you to read along with me. Luke 18, 35 through 43. Let's read it together. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. And when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled. So Jesus is going to Jericho and enough people know that he's going. They know who he is. They see him coming, that they all start talking. Everybody who's gathered around starts talking about it. And this blind man who's sitting in a prominent yet probably slightly out of the way uh, spot, begging for his food, begging for his livelihood, is sitting there and he hears that Jesus is coming. And so he shouts, he cries out and he says, Jesus, come, come and, and see me. And the next part just makes me so mad because as Bartimaeus is sitting there crying out for Jesus to pay attention to him, everyone around him yells at him and tells him to shut up. Why? Why would they tell him to shut up? I mean, he's a blind beggar. Let the man ask for help. Like, what's wrong with what he's doing? Maybe they think that this man isn't worth the attention of respectable people like Jesus. You know, he's just a beggar. He's a poor person. He's on the side of the street. He's blind. Why? He's insignificant. Why should we pay attention to him? Maybe they thought that his request was too obvious. And they're like, well, Jesus knows what you want. Why do you need to keep asking for it? If he wants you, he'll notice you. Like he sees you sitting there. He'll, he'll come and heal you if that's what he wants to do. Until then, shut up and stay out of the way. But the good news is that Bartimaeus was not insignificant to Jesus in the least. And his request was not too simple or too obvious. It's exactly the type of request that Jesus loves to answer. And on top of that, Bart knew who Jesus was in a way that I think was more profound than most of the people standing around. Because he calls Jesus the son of David, which is a strange term to use to our ears. We know that Jesus was the son of God. We know that he was the son of Joseph, but the son of David, what's that about? So David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He was the king who united the kingdom. 
He was, in 1 Samuel, we're told, a man after God's own heart. And in Judaism, there was a tradition that Solomon, who actually was David's son, had the power to grant uh, whatever was brought before him, including the power to heal. Now, we know that Solomon, of course, doesn't have the power to heal on his own. That's God's power. But Jesus, as the Son of God, would have that power. So the son of David, the term son of David didn't literally mean David's son, which would be weird because that would mean he's like a thousand years old and he fathered a son. And that's just all kinds of strange. It would mean the, the heir to the throne of David, the greatest king. The person who was David's heir would have power to grant almost any request that was placed before them, including healing. And so Bart's cry is a recognition that Jesus, as the prophesied son of David, has the power to answer any request. And the person who shouted it out was a blind beggar who was too insignificant for anybody else to pay attention to, that most other people didn't even want to hear from. Welcome to the upside down nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. But Bartimaeus knew that Jesus had the power to do what he asked. Listen to this, verse 39. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. For me personally, and you can disagree with this and that's fine, but I would challenge you before you disagree to at least think about it intentionally. Uh, But for me personally, I think this is one of the greatest questions, if not maybe even the greatest question that Jesus ever asks. What do you want me to do for you? It's so simple. It's so clear. It cuts to our heart. It's the question that we all need to be asked. Whether the answer we give is simple and easy, like Bartimaeus says, he wanted to see that was obvious, or if it's more complex and and challenging and, and takes time to figure out. We all need to be asked, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Prayer means many things to many people. But at its simplest and most obvious, prayer is simply means asking God for help. Help me in my relationship with my kids. Help me to get through this class that I'm struggling with. Help me as I deal with this person who is treating me unfairly. Prayer means asking God for help in all things at its most simple and basic form. And let me encourage you in this. Don't be afraid to ask for the small things because the more things that you pray about, the greater the chances for God to answer your request, to answer your prayers, and the greater you're going to be able to live with gratitude because you're going to see God move in your life. Praying more often does equal more prayers being answered. That's simple math that we can all understand. Corey Ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor and a powerful preacher in her own right. And she said, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. If you're going to worry about it, then you need to at least pray about it. Give in to Jesus before giving in to fear and anxiety. Let me say that again, because I think we need that. Give in to Jesus before giving in to fear and anxiety. 
But sometimes we're not sure if it's worth praying about, if it's too obvious or, or it's too small. So I created a list of things that you could pray for. So let me, let me toss some of these out here at you. You can pray for your heating bill. You can pray when you're going to court for a traffic ticket, struggles with your mental health, cancer, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, your spouse when you're not feeling the love, or your spouse when you are feeling the love, or for a spouse so that you can feel the love. You can pray uh, for your financial situation to get better because your account balance is looking pretty low. You can pray for a pay raise because your account balance is looking pretty low. Or you could pray for a pay decrease if you're really feeling that and you need to do that. Uh, your relationship for your, with your kids to improve to have kids in the first place, for friends and family to know Jesus, for random strangers to meet Jesus and to be healed. You can pray to be kind to really annoying and mean people. You can pray for patience for helicopter parents, for joy when life hurts, for peace when life feels like a war zone, for self-control when it's really hard to stop eating the Oreos, or when what you really want is just to get a drink. You can pray for random people that you don't know to be safe, for leaders to have wisdom, for God to move in the lives of our leaders, for your business to succeed in a really big way, not just small success, but big success, for your pet to be healthy, for a new pet, uh, to break bad habits, to sleep better, for your husband to be more sane, uh, to help manage your time better, for farmers' crops to grow. You can pray for the weather to get better, for that parking spot to open, for our church to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. Did I get specific and random enough for you with this? You can ask Jesus for anything, truly anything. Friends, our privilege as God's children is to ask audaciously and repeatedly for everything that we need, expecting for him to answer. That's the privilege of being a child of God. Pete Gregg said that he had an encounter with an elderly monk, and he was talking, and this monk had a, a a strong prayer life, but he admitted to Pete that he no longer prays for his own personal and practical needs. And Pete sat there and he said that he was too polite to actually say this, but what went through his mind when the monk said that was that that's not actually very Christian. Jesus cares what you need. He cares about that. He values that. So ask him for what you need and be specific with it. You know, this week I asked our church Facebook group to give me some examples of prayers that they prayed for that they've seen God answer. And I want to I read a couple of them to you. Jen said that she prayed for years for a new house for her and her son. And God gave them a home that was better than she could have ever imagined. Faith prayed that her husband would be healed from double pneumonia after the doctors had said that there was no chance of him recovering. God came, healed him, restored his body, and let him live. Cassie said that she prayed for her mom when her mom was getting ready to have a very serious cancer surgery. And uh, she asked her mom, who doesn't fo didn't follow Jesus, uh, what if she wanted prayer about anything specific. And her mom said, yes, I would like prayer uh, to have a few more years to live. 
And so Cassie prayed that. And her mom came out of the surgery well and then lived another seven years. Cassie also had a good one that I love for the specificity, specificness of this uh, prayer. Uh, And that's this. She prayed for a 2010 Ford Explorer for two years because she wanted the leather seats for their dogs uh, and uh, a V8 to pull the boat and a sunroof so that the dog could stand on the armrest and put their head out of the sunroof. And God granted that desire and gave her that car. I love these requests and the love that Jesus showed in answering these prayers. Friends, he truly cares about our desires. But often our unspoken fear is that Jesus won't answer. What if I ask and he says no, or worse, he doesn't say anything at all? That's our fear that's lying underneath some of these bigger requests. And I want us to watch a story of a man named Bob Sorge, who was a pastor and a worship leader who's dealt with unanswered prayer for, for decades at this point. And he's found just a really profound depth in his relationship with Jesus as he kept digging in and refusing to push Jesus away. Let's watch this. Years ago, I suffered an injury going to my voice. At the time, I was a pastor and a worship leader. And uh, since that time, my strength is very small. And it's painful for me to speak, so I, I have about an hour a day that I can manage. And then the pain shuts me down, so you can all do the math. When this happened to me, it threw me into crisis in pretty much every department of my life. Threw me into professional crisis. What does a pastor do that can't talk? What does a worship leader do that can't sing? myself in a theological crisis. God, how can I be loving you, serving you, giving you my life, giving you my best, walking in obedience, walking in faith and love, pouring my life out for the gospel, and take a hit like this. I didn't have a theology for that. I found myself darkest place in my life. Nobody had any answers. And all I had was this. For five years or so, my prayer life was basically three words. I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you. Over and over, just giving him my love in the darkest place in my life. I've discovered it's the most powerful thing you can do. God could have left Job alone. He could have said, have your bickering wife, have your 
ten wayward children, have your safe little world, have your little bubble. But the Lord said, Job, I love you too much to leave you to yourself. I love you too much to leave you to the smallness of what you know. And if God had not interrupted Job's life, and if Job had not walked through a living hell, we would never have heard of the man. But because it all shook down, and he stood and said, I love you. I worship you. In his darkest hour, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked his soul hates. So if you're righteous, he tests you. And if you're wicked, he leaves you alone. The last thing you want is for God to leave you alone. Lord, do not leave me alone. I have got to know you. I have got to see you. I have got to have you. And I want everything you've got from me. Lord, do not leave me to myself. Interrupt my life if you have to. Test me if you have to. But come to me. Visit me. Reveal yourself to me. I'm so profoundly struck by what Bob said in, in that video. For five years, the only prayer that he prayed was this. I love you. I don't understand, but I love you. And he ended with such a powerful prayer of, Lord, do not leave me alone. Interrupt my life if you have to, but reveal yourself to me. I know many of us have struggled with unanswered prayers or even answers that weren't what we had hoped that they would be and the pain that comes with both of those realities. And I don't know all the answers, nor do I understand everything around your circumstances and God's plan and why things happen the way that they happen. But I can relate to the fear surrounding your unanswered prayer. I personally, I prayed for my dad to be healed from cancer for, for several years, and in the end, he, he died from it. You have your stories that are personal and real, and I have mine. And no one's asking you to just be okay with it. But my encouragement is this. Dig in deeper. Look for Jesus until you find him and keep talking to him. He is there and he will speak. I promise that. As we end, let's look back at Bartimaeus' encounter with Jesus. Verse 40, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who see, saw it praised God too. 
When Bart came to Jesus, he didn't receive counseling. He didn't receive inner priests. He received real, actual, on-the-spot, immediate, total and complete healing. And that changed everything. To the man that the crowd shut up and, and pushed away, Jesus stopped. He called to him, pulled him closer to himself, and he healed. To the man that people didn't have time to and didn't want to respect, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And this morning, friends, Jesus looks at us and he asks us the same question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? In a couple of minutes, I'm going to take some time and give us space to just sit with that question and to ask Jesus whatever's on our heart. But for now, I want to end with a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the, the famous poet. One morning, Longfellow was reading his Bible in his devotional time, and he read the story of Bartimaeus and Jesus, and he was so inspired by what he read that he wrote this poem. Listen to this. Blind Bartimaeus at the gates of Jericho and darkness waits. He hears the crowd, he hears a breath, say, it is Christ of Nazareth. And calls in tones of agony, Jesus, have mercy on me. The thronging multitudes increase, Bar blind Bartimaeus, hold thy peace. But still above the noisy crowd, the beggar's cry is shrill and loud. Until they say, he calls to you, fear not, arise. He calls to you. Friends, don't fear. Jesus has the power to do what it is that we ask. All we need to do is ask. Asking isn't being selfish. It's creating clarity. And the beautiful thing is that by asking for what we need, we're giving ourselves opportunities to experience the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just come before you right now. So we go into a space of worship and, and we just admit our fear surrounding asking. We admit that we, we're afraid at times that, that it won't be answered, that it won't come to pass. We admit feeling insignificant, weak, unable to, to provide, to, to do it ourselves. And we don't like that reality. So we take this and we set it before you, Jesus. And right now, we also admit that you're good, that you ask us what it is that you, that you can do for us, that you want us to bring our requests to you, our needs, our desires to you, that you want to act in our lives. And so we just simply come. We come before you this morning and we ask for you to move. In Jesus' name, amen.